Welcome, everybody, to another edition of Coffee and Open Source, a place to meet some new friends, have some great conversations, and maybe learn something along the way. I'm your host, Isaac Levin. If you're enjoying what the interviews that we're having here, be sure to like, subscribe, follow, wherever you're watching or listening. Also, if you're interested or know any folks that would be interested in coming on and chatting, feel free to reach out to me on Twitter. My handle there is IsaacR11. All right, so with that, let's get started. I got coffee ready, and I'm excited for my guest. My guest today is Jay Miller. Jay, do you want to say hello? Introduce yourself. What's up? I, I didn't even think about, like, I should have no saved coffee. some of my coffee. Well, I, I made a whole pot. I drank the whole pot. Like, that's... To be if fair, we would have done this two hours earlier, you know? Yeah, it is 11 a.m. Pacific time. So, like, if you're still drinking coffee at this time, you may have a problem. Let's just say that. <laughs> I've got some water. We'll, we'll cool. do that. Awesome. Jay, do you want to just do a quick intro? Yeah, cool. So, I'm Jay Miller. Um, tech In the tech world, I'm a senior cloud advocate for Microsoft. Um, I used to used to work with this guy, which is always fun. Yeah. But uh, also in the world, I do a lot of uh, podcasting, a lot around like productivity and like developer productivity stuff. Mm -hmm. um, in the Python community, loving that, loving doing Python. I've been doing Python for like seven years now. I think it's like seven years. I'm one of those. I'm from like the community driven, you know, community taught active like active engagement just getting out there talking to people uh making my name in i guess that way uh, and yeah honestly just doing stuff like this yeah. just having conversations with people just talking just being all relaxed and chill about stuff that's that's kind of my jam well that's great well we don't have any agenda on this show we just like to just ramble about things tech related um i, like I would like to get one question out of the way because i think it's it helps us get started so you know, okay. you mentioned that you kind of have like an alternative, you did like an alternative route to tech than some folks might typically yeah. have gone through, right? I would love to kind of hear what your origin story was. Like, when was that point in time where you came across technology, software development, Python, whatever, and you're like, this is the thing that I want to work on. This is the thing that brings me joy. Man, that, I'm, I'm, I'm going to give like the abridged version with a bunch of caveats here. Like, Let's all right, so tech as a whole like i've been i've been around like computers computing like my entire life i'm you know child of the the late late 80s you know so we had computers computers were available and things but um i i knew that i wanted to work around computers for the longest i just didn't know like what uh so I get right out of high school, I'm getting ready for college, and I'm like, I'm just going to build websites for people. And this is like back in the days of like WordPress, Joomla, Drupal, like all that stuff. Mm -hmm. So I'm like building websites for people for like $100 a pop yeah. and uh, working multiple jobs, trying to pay my way through school. And I basically just like crash and I'm like, I can't do any of this stuff anymore. Uh, first level of burnout at 17, achievement unlocked. Nice. Um, so at that point, I'm just trying to figure out what to do. So I wound up joining the military and I joined the Marine Corps and I start, um, I'm on this thing called a Marine Expeditionary Unit. We go travel overseas. We're in Southeast Asia. Uh, we're doing all that stuff. It is a blast. I'm having fun. I'm I'm like meeting people. I'm getting to travel all over the world, experience different cultures. Um, 
I'm, I guess, not the typical Marine because everyone else is, like, partying, and I'm, like, walking through villages and stuff yeah. to seeing what people are doing and partying. I'm not going to lie. Like, there, were, there was partying involved, too, but sure. I tried to, like, split it up a little bit. Um, but the cool thing about that was I got to train a lot of people. So in, in the three years that I did that, I deployed seven times and they were, they were like, you know, go out for three months, come back for one, go out for three months, come back for one. And, you know, in that time, I, I, I wind up like inboarding and outboarding, like 150 people on my team. And then like, we're training foreign militaries and all that stuff. So I learned that like, hey, there's something cool to like doing the tech thing, but also like showing people how I did the tech thing. Yeah. Um, once I get out of the military, I get like a sysadmin job. I don't think I was cut out for that sysadmin job. Like it was it was just classic like help desk. Um, I was a SharePoint admin. I was a mobile device administrator, like doing all that stuff. Yep. So then I, I discover Python and it's like, oh, I can automate this. Like I can actually like start creating my own little like way to do all this stuff. And then at the end of the day, like I don't have to actually like pay attention. Like I'm just running scripts that are like doing my job for me. Yeah. Uh, my boss doesn't like that too much. So I wind up moving into marketing and the way that I pitch it is basically like, Hey, this boss doesn't care as long as like, Hey, the job is getting done and I'm doing it faster than if I were doing it by hand. So at that point, like it's now my job to become as proficient in Python as possible because I'm like automating all of these steps. That is my job. Uh, and I don't have a, I don't have a degree. I don't have a background, anything like that. So all I'm doing is just like watching PyCon talks and like yeah. going to user groups and meetups and things like that. And finally, I'm just like, all right, I, I got to take a swing at this. Um, I have some friends. San Diego is is so spoiled because we are in like we have like PSF members that are just local meetup attendees and things like that. So it's it's really great to to just have folks here that I've like talked with and, you know, now they're friends of mine and yeah. I'm like, oh, by the way, I'm looking for a job, uh, you yeah. know. Yeah, no, there is something to say about like the path that you went down. About like, I, I've said this a few times, right? Like, even if you go down the traditional route and do like the university path, like mm -hmm. you're not going to take the learnings that you did in university and college, and then those—that's all that you learn, right? Like eventually you have to learn other stuff and how do you learn that other stuff? How you're effective at learning that other stuff is really like kind of how it shapes your career as a developer or technologist. Right. And I think you did, you said something that's, you know, maps back to my way of thinking, like if there's something I got to do like three times, I'm going to write a script that automates it. Even yeah. if that script takes like an out, like 45 hours to write and like, and it doesn't end up making any sense. Like I still do it. Cause I enjoy like the feeling of being able to automate tasks. Right. Yeah. Um, so, you know, that, you know, so it sounds to me like you latched on to Python. Was that just because of something about the technology, something about the language syntax? What was it about Python specifically? Because you have so many options, right? Getting started in, in writing software. So I, I've told this story before. Um, and one of the, the, the funny thing about it was 
I was this close to being a Ruby developer, mm. <laughs> like All right. so close. I, I started with Python because folks were like, this is the easiest way to do this. Like if you want to get into programming, like learn Python, it's easy. You'll figure it out. And I'm like writing some code. I'm building some stuff out, very beginner level stuff. And I have a question about like how to enumerate through items. And I go, I can't remember if it was like on a, uh, I think it was a Reddit, like learn Py like R slash learn Python or something like that. And I go, hey, I'm having this problem. I'm trying to figure out how to do this. Da, 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 da. And like the first person that jumps in is like, oh, well, you know, link to your repo or whatever, and I'll I'll send you a message. Sure. So, okay. so sure, I'm learning GitHub. Like, all right, cool. Get re here's the repo, all this stuff. The next message is like, oh, this code is so un unpythonic, you know, how like, oh, this is all bad. Look, I just I just rewrote all the code for you. Like this is this is how you should have written it. And I'm like, I learned nothing like yeah. I have yeah. I have no idea what what you've done, let alone how to even replicate it. Yep. So at, at that point, I'm just like, if the Python community is like this, I'm out like I don't want anything to do with it. So then I jump into like free code camp. I'm doing like free code camp tutorials with like Ruby and I get all the way through it. I'm like, all right, cool, Ruby, I got this. And then it's like, all right, it's time to learn Ruby on Rails. And I'm like, mm. was this like, is this like Ruby plus plus? Is this like the extra yeah. levels of Ruby? Yeah. Like, I was just like, I'm out. Like, I don't, I don't want to do this. And that's when I see there's like a San Diego Python user group. I go in, I'm still that same beginner. I still have that same exact problem. Yeah. And uh, shout out to Trey Hunter, great, great, you know, human being in general. Uh, I'm like, oh, I have this question. I don't really know how to, to solve it. And he's like, well, what are you trying to do? Yeah. And and we just start going through the project. And I'm telling him like, oh, hey, I do podcasting. I'm trying to do this thing with like, you know, feed parser and getting all of my podcast episodes and stuff. Mm -hmm. And and his response isn't, oh, your code's not Pythonic. He's like, this is a cool project. Yeah. And like he's asking me more questions about it. I'm like, oh, so I'm getting like super excited, super amped up about it. And then he's like, oh, and, and by the way, you probably really want to try this. This is how this works and this is how you would use it. I'm like, oh, so what you're telling me is that like there are people in the Python community that are super friendly, yeah. super engaging, super encouraging. And this is where I should be. But but yeah, had had free code camp like started off with like, here's just learn Ruby on Rails. It, it would have been a completely different timeline. Yeah, I mean, that's it's very, very funny, like how some folks in different developer communities think they're helping and in the process of them helping are not helping at all. Right. Like, I think, you know, hopefully that person that came and gave you all that PR that we wrote all of your code, maybe they're trying to help. Right. Maybe they weren't. I don't think it really matters. But it that approach versus the other approach was the more inclusive one, the one with empathy. Like that's so much better for folks that are getting started. Like I, I've been like a Microsoft technology .NET C sharp developer, and um, I've learned other languages just out of curiosity. But the reason why I enjoy the community that I'm a part of is because I feel like that's the one that is most approachable, and empathetic, and and kind for me. Right? You yeah. know, I think one of the things that's really really important about tech in general is like you there 
are way too many tech jobs out there and not enough people that want those jobs because of a bunch of different reasons, right? So if you can create habitats for people to be comfortable and live and be able to do the things they want to do, that's what's going to make things great. And that's what's going to solve a lot of the problems in tech, right? The problem is, is that people have, people have their agendas, right? And I think one thing that's very, very interesting about what you said, and sorry, I'm, I'm rambling for a bit, but it's like, go. it's about creating spaces where you feel like you can learn the way that you want to learn. Especially like if you don't come from like a traditional like lecture and lab based um, curriculum of how you learn. Like mm-hmm. code free code camp is great uh, because that's how people in the wild learn how to do stuff. Like they look at samples, they go through tutorials, they do all those sort of things, right? And not to mention that like seven years ago, that was it. Like you had you had like this. I remember like Chuck Severance, like YouTube videos, this like CS 101 course from MIT, which was way over my head. Sure. And then you had like free code camp and code newbie, like big shout out to Saran and code newbie and like that whole crew. Like, but I didn't know that any of those things existed. So it was quite literally, I want to learn how to write code. Yeah. How do I do this? I know HTML, I know some CSS, like, but ultimately like everything that I've done has been GUI based. So how do I go beyond that? And how do I move into that next space? And whatever is available is available. Like subreddits were a thing. So like, okay, cool, jump onto Reddit. You know, again, I just did a Google search, learn Python for free. And like whatever popped up was whatever I clicked. The the other side of that is the tech industry as a whole is like one of the only industries. and, And I would say almost like the developer industry as a whole is like one of the only industries where people put so much stake into their reputation outside of their job. Yeah. Like, you know, my sister's a a PhD like teacher at like Arizona State and she doesn't go home and like sit there and like talk to other teachers about how to teach, you know, properly. Sure. You know, all of the all of these other industries are like I go to work, I do my thing, I learn the skills that I need to do my job. Occasionally, I will like go for a certification, but it's like me studying or me doing this thing for my own like personal benefit. And like the the developer community is one of the only spaces where you see people tweeting like, "Oh, it's the weekend. What code are you working on?" And it's like I would love to be like, "Oh." If you're in the banking industry, you don't get, hey, it's the weekend. What type of money are you sort of like? I mean, like that doesn't happen. And it's it's not a knock on like any other industry. Like it's we put so much emphasis on like what we do as a part of who we are. And I don't necessarily think that that's always healthy. Because I think what it does is it encourages people like, again, this original like Reddit, you know, poster to be like, look at me, I'm out here helping in my off time, but I'm doing it in a way that is ultimately going to make me look better, not the person that I'm helping. And the Python community, like I feel has gotten better about this over time. And just the kind of the, the crew that I hang out with, we try to make it so not about us. Like, uh, I think I even tweeted about this. Like I have so much anxiety around my own code, but when it comes to like, helping other people, I will jump 
I will just jump at any opportunity. Like, hey, this is as much as I know. Once once we go beyond this, I will pass you off to everyone else. And and it's it's never about what I did. It's about can I find can I be that better experience than how I was yeah. introduced to the community. Yeah, I mean, everything that you said was super spot on. Like the only caveat that that I have is like there are some folks out there who just work the job and they don't talk about tech outside of work. And I have a little bit of like, you know, I'm a little bit envious of folks like that. They can just kind of turn it <laughs> off. Like I feel like, you know, my friends and my wife and people I come across like, man, do you ever stop talking about like computers and technology and that sort of stuff? I'm like, nah, like that's what I enjoy doing. Like in my spare time, like I interview people in tech podcasts. I write open source software. I, you know, I work on the .NET Foundation. Like I do all these other things that, and my wife is like, but you don't make any money doing these things. And I'm like, so it brings me joy. Like I don't have any other hobbies. Like I don't, I don't collect stamps or that sort oh, of man. stuff. So, but I think like one thing also that you said is like, is the different ways that people can learn is really important too. Like you're talking about Reddit mm -hmm. you're talking about free code camp, like, you you work with a lot of people in the developer community like right now like how are primarily how are people getting into tech are they starting code camps are they still the typical university route are they doing some hodgepodge of all sorts of different things or are they just like just figuring it out just by looking at forms and stuff like how are people typically like getting started in tech these days so i think there's still there's still a lot of questions around that that entire conversation i one thing that I've noticed now is a lot more people are coming out of like code schools. Like you're coming out yeah. of like coding boot camps. You're not coming out of Stanford anymore. Like, yeah. um, and now that there's so many like sub industries in programming, like you can't go to school to learn how to be an SRE. You can get a CS degree, like sure, yeah, but there aren't any curriculums that are like SRE 101. There's no like yeah. DevOps, you know. CO, you know, 102 or whatever. Like, yeah, yeah. so you wind up having to get get into a job, learn about what you want to actually do, and then just slowly just start doing that thing and slowly yeah. start grabbing those resources. And I think that's where like coding boot camps have the advantage because it's it is very much focused on we want to get you hired more than like we want to educate you. Yeah. And yeah. So it, it, I mean, to answer the question, I feel like everybody, regardless of if you went to school or if you went to, you know, a coding boot camp, everybody is looking for all of the resources, you know, and yeah. I feel like a lot of people have kind of gone with the like Skillshare, like Pluralsight course type mm -hmm. stuff. Like that seems to be a big industry right now. Yeah. Um, I'm I'm gonna you know immediately commit some level of like career sabotage sure. and just be like I think that that market's kind of a little oversaturated at the moment. There are too many people doing courses for fifty dollars, and like we need yeah. to kind of settle on some like standard stuff. But sure. I also think that you know for me, like I said, I sat there and watched PyCon videos. I watched. Yeah like Pi Gotham videos. I, I tell uh, shout out to my friend, John, like who's an organizer for Pi Gotham. I, I literally told him when I, when I got to speak at Pi Gotham for the first time, it was like, this is like the Super Bowl for me. Like yeah. I watched so many, so many talks that came out of Pi Gotham from like four or five years ago that were just like, 
the things that I bookmarked and just had to put on repeat over yeah. and over and over again to learn. And now I'm speaking on that, you know, on that same stage, be it virtually or whatever. But like, I'm now considered like good enough to speak at the level of what I was watching to learn how to do this. Um, and of course, John's like, you know, hey, we're like a little regional conference. It's like, have fun. It's super humble. But at the same time, it was just like, the the way that people are finding out about different skills and different industries are more on like, hey, I saw this YouTube video of a conference talk from like three years ago that was like a breakdown of what is this? What is DevRel? Like I learned about DevRel from having lunch with a developer advocate like at a conference. Yeah. And from there it was like, how do I learn more about this? And this was at the time where there wasn't much content about it. There wasn't you know, all of these communities and newsletters and all this other stuff. So uh, it's it's really cool to see the the landscape kind of pushing people to you don't have to go to school yeah. because even the people who are going to school are going to be consuming the same resources that you are. Just yeah. start there if you have to. Start on YouTube. Start on, you know, again, Pluralsight or Egghead.io. Like, go do that. But you don't necessarily have to worry about like where's going to be the big barrier to entry. Yeah. I, like you said something, I think that's very interesting. It, it triggers something in my brain. Like, you know, when you got out of college, right? Like using a typical approach, like the, if you got a, like an intern, you start off with like an internship at like a big tech company, like you join Google or Microsoft or Amazon or whatever. Right. And then yeah. you would like learn, like with your CS degree, like that you spent all this time doing, you would like learn like on the job stuff. And that on-the-job stuff may or may not be at all related to what you were working on in college, right? So, like, it's almost, you know, to go back to what you're saying, like, you know, code schools where it's like, hey, how do I be a DevOps engineer? How do I be an SRE? How do I be a React developer? Whatever, right? Like, yeah. more than likely, if you go through the typical university route, you don't learn a lot of those sort of, like, solve the business problem sort of things. I'm not saying that every curriculum yeah. is like that, but a lot of them are. So when you get to like, okay, so now I'm going to start talking about GitHub Actions and, and pull requests and issues. Like, I didn't learn any of that stuff at school, right? Yeah. So it's almost like, you know, I don't, I have a four-year degree and sometimes I question like, did I really need it? But I think it's, it's really important to think about all the alternative ways that we learn things too. You know, I am, you know, I graduated 10 plus years ago. Like, I remember some of the stuff that I learned in college, but more than likely, like most of the stuff that's built, like who I am as a developer today, like I learned on the internet, in a book, watching a talk, right? Like, cause I think that's how typically like a lot of us that are in the tech space today that are outside have been outside of college. That's like, like how we learn. That's like the only way to really consume content to like, and also like just trial and error, like to, to you have a heart attack. I got, I got two things on that. Yeah, the yeah. first one was, so when I was in the military, we, you go to like boot camp and you do all this stuff and then you go, you know, at least in my role, you went to a uh, trade school, like a training school. And I went to like comm school, uh, 29 palms. That place is miserable. Like, <laughs> but you wind up going through like this one month course that's supposed to be the equivalent to like a comp TIA, like a plus or like a plus and network plus certification. And in fact, they'll actually let you test for it if you want to. Mm -hmm. And then I get to what we call the fleet, which is like when you're actually at your unit, you, you can deploy, you can do all this stuff. I get to the fleet and the first thing that they have me do is 
they pull out this giant like case of cat five cable <laughs> and they're just like all right here's a bag of tips here's a set of crimpers cut all the ends off of these cables and retip them and then at the end of the day we're going to test you to see you know to make sure that they work and the thing is we went through all that training no one had ever taught us how to tip cable no and and the the cool thing about that was that was the cable that we wound up taking on my first deployment so like at that yeah. point it's like okay hey i actually did contribute to sure. my first mission like i ran all this cable and we we were redoing it to so that we would learn what to do in the moment but also the nice thing about that was it made us available you always knew you would be able to find that person that just joined so you could show them something because they were going to be at the box of like 600 cables just sitting there like retipping cables so it's like you know, hey, PFC, hey, private, come over here. No, bring the cable with you. Keep on, like, keep working on that. But yeah. I'm going to explain to you how we set up these switches or how we image these laptops for the deployment. Like, I'm going to watch and, sh like, keep doing what you're doing and learn, but know that, like, anytime we have something interesting to show you, we can just grab you and show you this. And that's the thing that I think the the greater, like, internet learning you know, platforms have been able to do yeah. is it makes it so that it's so easy to be reachable. So easy to just be like, oh, I need to learn how to do this thing. A quick Google search, Stack Overflow results, YouTube video, like I don't have to then go out and like hunt down a book or, you know, watch an entire lecture for one thing. So it's it's great that we're creating content, but that the content is generally available and yeah. often available for free and set up in a way that you can learn in the immediacy of when you need to learn it. But also it's so available that you don't have to then like dedicate an hour a day at the end of work or dedicate like all of this time after the fact, like, Oh, I wish I would have learned how to do this before I brought the entire network down. Let me go spend the next six hours, like yeah. learning how I broke like VLANs or something. It's like, I don't know how to do this. Pulls out phone, watches video. I still don't really know how to do this, but at least now I understand a little bit better what I'm looking at. Yeah. I think, I think like, the way to learn, at least for me, and I can't speak for everybody, is like just trying, right? That's why I tell people, like people reach out to me all the time and say, oh, how do I get started in tech? Like, how do I, like I'm in college, how do I be a developer? You know, all my applications are being denied for these big companies. Like, what do I do? And I just, and I just say simple as like, oh, like you have to just put in the work of just being, pre prepping yourself for the, like, and I'd say this in the nicest way possible, the constant failure that it is to be a developer, right? Like so much struggle, so much work for like how many failed builds, how many syntax errors. And then when something builds and it runs and it gives you what you want, like that propels you forward for another week or two weeks of struggle again. So yeah. you have to be ready for like that sort of like that masochistic sort of feeling, right? Where it's like, you're just kind of beating yourself down because the high is so worth it. And what I tell people is, is that, be pre like prepare yourself to just how you handle failure because I think that's really really important thing that a lot of people don't talk about in this job. Like when you interview, they're like, "Tell us a time that you something didn't go the way you wanted, how you acted." And I've always hated that that question because it's always like, "Okay, am I supposed to talk negatively about myself and then turn it around?" But ninety five percent of our job is failure. Like let's yeah. be real. Like even the best developers that are slaying code like crazy, like 
you know, it's either trying to research a problem, having a conversation with the business, running into actual developer loop problems. Like that's our day. And then when yeah. things work, we get to talk about it for a couple of minutes, then back to whatever, right? Yeah, uh, and yeah, I yeah. think, and I think that that building that mindset—it's not for everybody. Like I tell people all the time, like it's okay that like if you don't, if you're in tech and you don't enjoy that process, because no one really enjoys it. They do it for the positive at the end, right? I think we're all just a little bit into you know torturing ourselves a smidge. I th yeah, definitely. There definitely is a level of like slight masochism that comes with that. Of like I. I know that once I get the result, I will be so satisfied. But in that moment, I am very, very frustrated. Yeah. Like that is that is always kind of the moment. And it's it's like you're working towards that level of satisfaction. And uh, I mean, I always tell people, like, if you want to learn how to code, like build something, build something that you're passionate about, build something that you think needs to exist. And like, it's going to be bad. Build the bad version of it but don't be afraid to share it with people like share it with people that you trust share it with people in your community share it with people in your local area like i have now made a career out of building things that were just like i thought this was cool yes or i thought that this yes. was important let me build this thing and tell people about it and from there like the way that i did it at the beginning Versus the way that I do it, you know, a year or two down the road, like now I'm like emailing people like, hey, this is bad advice. Like, take this down. Like, sure. don't like get rid of this talk or like I'll put like updates like, oh, hey, I've updated how I do this. This is the better way to do it or this is the preferred way to do it. Like, but that's fine. Like one thing I learned uh, and I, I, I tell people I've, I've told you on know, my team at Microsoft, like. The coolest part about getting a job at Microsoft was I learned that the Python is the same. The code is the yeah. same. The yeah. the same, like maybe it's written differently, but the the Python that we're running is the same Python that you can go and download and run as well. Yeah. And the same like Node.js, the same React, the same Angular, like all of those things. There is no secret super like corporate level unless you're in the banking industry, which they do their own little thing. But like in most industries, the code that you write is the same code that you have access to in the beginning. Yeah. And the only way you ever learn how to write quote unquote better code or more Pythonic code or whatever is by writing the code to begin with. And then having people say, hey, this is cool. Let me ask you a thousand questions about it. Also, by the way, it might be a little bit more efficient to do it this way. And here's why. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, even taking it one step further, like the implementation is usually the same too, not just the language, right? No. Like how many times have we had to solve like the, the forms over data, website over data problem, right? There's a million yeah. thousand ways to do it. And like the implementation is always the same. Like, oh, I'm going to write a connector and then I'm going to do this and then I'm going to, you know, paint some UI. Like, it's all the same. The business problem might be different, but the implementation is always the same. Like, there's not like a lot of like truly unique things where like I have to build this thing that no one has ever thought of before. And usually those things end up becoming startups, right? In most in most cases, the industry is like this, but for this. Yes. So yes. Every, every problem usually has a this existing thing, but for this other industry or this existing thing for the same industry except for the way they do it like 
you know, type A, we do it like type B. That way everybody's happy. Like it's, it is 100%. Like you said, we're solving the same problems over and over again in different ways, which is cool. Like that's, that's a cool way to think about writing code is like, I need to understand what the problem is. And the only way that I can understand the problem is by writing the code that solves that problem, even if someone's already written it. I actually did a talk on that uh, called uh, reinvent the wheel, just add spikes to it. Like, it's it's very much that same concept of like, we we have several types of wheels, wheels exist. Some wheels look cool, some wheels don't. Some wheels are super functional. Some wheels are for, you know, NASCAR vehicles and yeah. other ones are for Formula One and other ones are for skateboards. Like yeah. solve build the wheel. And if someone's already built it or someone says, oh, it already exists out there, who cares? Just build it anyway and build it to solve your particular problem and then make it look cool. Make it look the way that you want it to look. And sure, if someone goes, well, you'll never make money off of it, who cares? Like yeah you you will make money off of the skills that you developed in doing that thing it's very true like there's a like there it's okay to have an opinionated way on doing things right like i think the only time where it falls down is if you are a consumer of said thing like i talk about this all the time like try to find a pit package to do like what you want right it's a pain right or an npm (laughs) package right like a lot of things are name similar like if you do like a google search it's like okay like here are all these pit packages and like the process of like testing out pit packages is not easy like i swear if there was like some way for you literally to just like double click on a pit package like on a website and it comes up with like an environment with that pit package added like like that person would literally close down the internet right if they weren't able to build like some ai tool that built like demos based on packages, right? Because I think a lot of our job as developers is like weeding through the noise. Mm-hmm. Like, hey, there's like 45 different packages in the open source community. Like I have to go and teach one of them. When was the last commit date? How many times has it been forked? Like look at the vanity metrics for it. Is there a demo for it? Is there detailed docs? Is there a bunch of issues that people are actually like communicating in? Like all these things. And then like after I go through that, I actually have to, to get the code down and actually see if it works in my use case, right? Like yeah. that noise takes way too long. And I think as developers, like we're just immune to it. Like we just deal with it. But like trying to convince like somebody who's new in role, oh, by the way, you're going to spend like three or four days figuring out like which version of this calendar tool to use, right? Like and that's like a real problem. Like, for example, like I was trying to figure out like a good calendar tool because I didn't want to build a calendar tool. I'm like, why are there so many options and why are all of them so bad? And like, it's one of those things where we're just, we just have to assume that it's going to be a little bit of work figuring out if we want to use tools instead of building it ourselves. Yeah. And, and I, I love how you call it like, you know, cutting through the noise, like our, as developers, our job is to cut through the noise, but then we also get paid to make our like employers products less noisy sure like that is that is always the challenge and i feel like that's the thing that i i'm not going to call anybody out or call any companies out but i think that 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 is always the competitive advantage Mm -hmm. is if i can create a competitor to whatever some product is but the barrier to entry, the barrier to uptime, the barrier to, you know, deployment. If, if I can reduce 
the number of clicks. If I can, you know, make our product slightly less noisier than my competitor's product, then that gives me a competitive advantage. Yeah. But we're in this constant cycle of reducing so much noise that eventually you hit play and a brand new album comes out. Like, oh, yeah. okay, it's it's a brand new symphony. I pushed one button, there's a symphony. Yeah. I don't know what all the instruments are. I don't know what all is involved. I just pushed one button and a symphony is there. And then what happens when one thing in that breaks? Um, I'm I'm struggling with that now with my own yeah. projects of like, I, I built a thing and it's like, oh, hey, everything is working. But then all of a sudden, one new package is like, this doesn't work the way that it used to anymore. And I'm like, Okay, great. I now have to dig into like I have two choices. I can either replace the package with another one. Uh, I can like rebuild it or I can go and like hard like fix the version that I'm using so that it never gets updates ever again, which is not really a good idea um, for security reasons. Yeah. And in that whole time, it's like, while we're making our products less noisy for our clients, we have to deal with the people that we rely on making their products less noisy. Yeah. And sometimes that introduces noise into what we're doing, which it becomes a whole like nightmare. And that's why we this is an, an entire industry of just navigating through the noise. I wouldn't say we're cutting it. We're like like Indiana Jones, like cutting through the jungle. You have to yep. cut a path. But like also while you're cutting that path, you have a bunch of animals that are like messing up your path. So you're constantly having to cut new paths. Yeah, I mean, there's like it, there's something to say about like the downstream dependent, especially like in today's world where nobody like writes everything from scratch. Like they're always going to take advantage of some open source work. Right. And I always love like the left pad example. Right. Like I've talked about the story a lot. Right. Yeah. Like literally dude decided I don't like this anymore. I'm going to take my NPM package off of the registry and it broke literally all of JavaScript, right? Like it's a great story of like how we built this in this giant mansion and then, but like the foundation of it is very brittle because at the end of the day, we're depending on the work of lots and lots and lots of developers, which is great. But as you build more and more tools that obfuscate all of these different packages and all these different practices and all these things, you have to admit if you're a large company, that there is a ton of risk in absorbing any new technology because of the depend downstream dependencies, right? That you may or may not be be forced to maintain at some point in the future. I'm totally for big companies contributing back to open source, but it only can go so many levels down, right? Yeah. Like, and some of these, like large input, like Kubernetes or React or whatever, right? Like, there's like turtles all the way down to like the beginning of existence right so like you can't uh, expect a company to like have to like manage the entire tree if they're gonna like take react as a dependency well, well here's the the trick to that and i think it's something that i'm hoping that companies are opening their eyes to a little bit more is you invest in the open source you contribute to the open source but you also invest and contribute to the community that keeps funneling in people to yes. do that for you. So, you know, me me speaking on my own behalf, if I have my own imaginary company, J Corp here, 
I want to make sure that not just the tools that I'm using, but the people who are building them and the people who are interested in maintaining those tools after those original maintainers are gone are all taken care of. And I have to think about it in that term of like, if I'm not prepared to invest in the environment that I rely on to, you know, people on my payroll or, or hire people or whatever if i can't invest in that space then i don't need to utilize those tools like that that just doesn't make sense why would i why would i sit there and add all of my weight onto a deck of car onto like a a card tower that's you know doesn't have anything supporting it at the bottom like that it's, doesn't make sense it's it's very true right like i think and that's why I think a lot of large tech companies, they've started to build out these open source teams or open source offices where it's like, hey, mm -hmm. our sole job is to basically ensure that the products that we're building to help our customers are stable because they depend on open source. And I think that's great. Yeah. But again, like it only goes so far. Like there's millions of open source developers out there and millions of repos. And it's one of those things where we really have to just be very mindful of, hey, like, again, you have to test stuff out, even like really tried and true stuff. Yeah. Um, one thing that I, I would love to talk with you about, too, um, it is something that I, you know, I've watched some of your talks. You and I have chatted a couple of times as well about this. Like, I love the fact that you take a lot of interesting data sets and you build demos or talks around these data sets. Like, I would love to kind of hear, like, what your thought process is around how you build talks that are you know, tied into technology, but also tied into some of the social issues that you're really interested in. Yeah. So as, as a lot of people did, um, 2020 was a hard time <laughs> for sure. a lot of folks. Sure. Um, there, there was a lot that happened and I was actually fortunate that I got hired in the middle of the pandemic and I got hired about my first, then sorry, hired into my first DevRel job. In it was like three or four months after the incidents um, that happened with George Floyd um, and Ahmaud Arbery and Breonna Taylor and, and so many, so many other countless people. And in that moment, I I had a conversation with a couple of people, and the idea was like. Does giving money solve that problem? Yeah. Does 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 donating, does protesting solve the problem? And please do those things. I'm not yes. telling you not to do those things. Um, but what I'm saying is like, I was given a platform. Like, hey, congratulations, your job is now this platform. Yep. It felt weird not being able to speak or talk to things that I saw that I was genuinely concerned about. Yeah. And to have this ability to talk about it, but to hold back. Mm -hmm. That being said, you know, you represent your employer. You have to like, sure. all things have to be done with tact. You don't want to be on like the New York Times, like, oh, you know, developer advocate speaks out against racial or sure, social justice sure, issues. Sure. Like, that's a good way to lose your job. <laughs> um, you have to do it tactfully. And and luckily, I had come from a military background where, like, a lot of things are 
taught for you to do them tactfully. Sure. Um, you often are talking to people who may outrank you. You're talking to people that give a command and you're all, you know, you're required by law to like follow it. So you have to be able to like say things without, I don't want to say offending them, but say things knowing that like what you're saying is going to be hard. Sure. Uh, so what I did was I took a data focused approach mm-hmm. to where I never sat there and said, look at, you know, racial profiling in California. And I have this opinion. I have this narrative. I'm driving this narrative, you know, and I'm using my employer and my platform to drive that narrative. Instead, what I'm doing is saying, look at this data set that is available to you for free that anyone can access, anyone can go and repeat the steps that I've done. Look at this tool set, which my employer pays me to talk about, Mm -hmm. and look at the steps of how I came to some very clear conclusions based on empirical data. And what that did was that allowed people who, I will say, shared some of my viewpoints people who wanted to be able to speak up about things but didn't necessarily have the data to back it up. And now I gave them two things. I gave them where they could find the data and I gave them the tools to re- to actually show these different things. Sure. So, so a good example of, of what I did with this was I looked at police call data in like police call records over the course of like seven years in San Diego based on police beat. And I, I just said, Hey, look, we can use this data to see where the cops are being called to at any given time. Yes. But what I can then do is I can say, I know when pride happens I can see what the police calls are for, you know, noise disturbances, you know, drunken public things like all of these different things. And I can say during the time of during the month, you know, that we celebrate pride. Here are the areas where individuals get the cops called on them most. Yes. Here are the spikes. Here's here's where normally it's not as active. It's not as, you know, busy. And then for this one month, all of a sudden, the cops are being called constantly here for whatever reasons. Then I can also look and say the state of California requires people to or it requires all enforcement officers for um, police teams of more than like 300 people, I believe, to collect racial identification and profiling based on their perception of the person that they're stopping. So from there, I've got two pieces of data that are free and freely available. I've got access to tooling that's open source or free and open and and available for people to to use in their own way. And I now have one piece of data and I now have another piece of data to where I can see how often or how long are people being held by police officers that where the police officer is making the assumption, and this is what it is a perception, it is an assumption that the people stopped are a part of the LGBTQIA plus community. 
So then you can you can start to to look at things and you can say like okay hey during the month of pride here's where the cops will get called on you and if you do get stopped here are locations where police are often stopping people use that information how you will I'm not telling you to you know protest I'm not telling you to go and like contact your local congressman if you think that's what you need to do go do it but what I'm telling you is here are pieces of data that are available to anybody that anybody can go look at anybody can download Here's tools that anybody can go and use that are free to them for them to use. And here is how I presented this data to you so that the next time someone says, well, the data doesn't support it, you can go, well, actually the data does support it. And like here, here's a whole talk about it. But then like, here's also me running this data myself and then showing them how to do it themselves. And once, once that worked, I just, I was like, oh, well, cool. If I can do that, let me just do that for other data sets. So then I looked at like Terry stop data in Seattle and I looked at like WIC centers in Austin, Texas. And it was like, it was always this, like, let me build things that people can actually use that are helpful to them. But also let me do it in a way that's tactful and isn't necessarily trying to openly shout at people. Because I I think once you start shouting at people, they tend to stop listening to you. I mean, like it's it's great. I am very of the belief. I'm very data driven as an individual as well. I think the data has a very very challenging time lying to people. I feel like people more than likely will take data and slice it in a way that sells their particular narrative. But more than likely, unless data is in, in, inputted incorrectly, it doesn't lie. So yeah. I think being able to use technology to raise awareness for some honestly, some very strong assumptions that are made with data-driven sort of factual findings is really, really cool. And I think that it, it solves, at least me, like, and this is just a, a tirade, so I, I apologize, but in when we do talks, our talks are usually like, okay, like, I want to talk about this one cool thing. What are some of the cool things that we want to do? Blah, 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 right? Yeah. But some of the talks that you've done, and I, and for folks that are curious, I posted a link to some of Jay's talks on his GitHub, so please check them out if you haven't already. There, get, you get an ability to say, okay, this particular piece of technology, this is what you can do with it. This is something. This yeah. is a problem that you can solve. This is something that you can build a better understanding of the surround of your surroundings. So, like, I think this is great. Like, you've done you know, this sort of thing. I, I believe, didn't you do some some COVID data sort of stuff too? Like, um, I, like we were, there's we weren't able to do too much with the COVID data. Yeah. Just, uh, just weird timing things happen. Yeah. The one one thing you mentioned, you know, with that, or I guess one thing I want to I want to emphasize too, is when you're giving a talk, the hardest you know the first thing they tell you is like get the attention you know you always have to get the attention of your audience like always grab their attention so to me this was never this was never a way to say let me just force again force a narrative down someone's throat this was everyone has done a to-do app Everyone has done the fizz buzz, you know, everyone has done those, those demos. I don't want to do those demos. I don't want to do the e-commerce platform demo. I want to do demo that is real and relevant. You know, when I, when I gave my San Diego data, I gave it to people that lived in San Diego. 
when I gave Seattle Terry stops data, I gave it to people in Seattle. I was able to make it relevant to them by putting them in their neighborhood. And it, it hits different. You know, I, I, I gave a talk about, you know, kind of a similar data set, just analyzing public data and how data is openly available to people, but they don't know where to find it. So like, it was basically like, Hey, look, here's where you can find some data. But I, I shook myself in the, in the talk because as I was going through the list of people who had been gunned down by police officers with no body camera footage available, I literally ran into someone who died in the town that I grew up in. Sure. And like, as you're giving that talk and like, I had to like pause and like stop yeah. for a second. And it was just like, whoa, like this wasn't supposed to happen. This wasn't expected. It was, it was just like, wow. Like yeah. I, I always talk about like the, the problem that I had with some of the, the stuff that was happening again in 2020, it was a, a very harmful year. I grew up in those areas, like yeah. where Ahmaud Arbery died, like, it's in Brunswick, Georgia. Like I went to school about 30 minutes northwest of there. Like yeah. that could have been me. I ran cross country. Like it wouldn't be uncommon to see me running into an area where like, hey, I'm just out running in an affluent neighborhood because I happen to live in a, you know, a, kind of a more middle class area. And I had to run because it was part of what I did in school. So like when it becomes hyper relevant, you are then amplified to do something about it. So my goal was always, how do I present data in a way that's relevant to the the people in the room, but on a whole nother level? Sure, you want to learn how to do the thing. And learning how to do the thing is really hard to do when you're not really paying attention. But if you can put yourself in the position of that data set, if you could see your name in that data set, if you can see your use cases for that data in the data set, it makes you want to listen more. It makes you want to get engaged more. And so, I mean, for me, like I said, sure, I had, I wanted to bring awareness to some of these issues, but at the same time, I also wanted to give people the same shared experience that I had, knowing that in many times, the data that I was looking at, I could look at experiences in my life and be like, I've been in that position before. I've been stopped and frisked. I've been held, you know, for extreme amounts of time at a police stop for reasons that I couldn't understand. So, like, when that happens, I'm like, okay, cool. I want to bring light to this data because I see myself in it. I mean, it's really powerful. I think, too, like, as somebody who really, obviously, I can't share the same experience as you. But one thing that I can experience is the passion and the the way that you're phrasing how to solve these problems with technology right like and i think that's what's really really great about it like if i'm sitting in a conference conference center and i'm watching somebody give a talk and they're kind of marrying these things that they have two passions for passion for technology passion for for rights of people passion for using data to prove some of the biases that we have in society like those two passions being married turns into a great experience for a, for an attendee right yeah. so like i commend you for being able to kind of marry those two things which the conversation like you said it's not always pretty it's not always comfortable especially for people who to be honest look like me 
But I think in general, like you have the ability to really make a difference with technology where in most cases in technology, we don't get an opportunity to make a difference. The yeah. difference is making a company money. But being able to spin it in a way that using open data that's not fabricated to tell your particular side of the story, to be able to shine lights with things is really, truly impactful. And and to do it in a way that's, that is relevant to you. I mean, if, if yeah. I'm going to a user group in your hometown, I want to find data that's relevant to your hometown. Yep. That way, the conversation of, oh, well, that there's no way that happens here. And it's like, Oh, sure, it does. Yeah. The, the, the data shows it happens right around the corner from here. And then you're like, oh, that means I am empowered to be able to do something. You know, yeah. if, if something's happening in, you know, Minnesota or Kenosha or, you know, somewhere like that, and it's like, I live in California, I can't, I mean, sure, I can yell about it on the internet, but I can't, you know, I'm not going to fly and protest there. I might protest outside, but I'm not going to be able to go there. But when I can say, oh, and by the way, that happened at, you know, the, you know, the McDonald's down the street, you can go, oh, well, I can stop going to that McDonald's or I can, I can talk to my mayor or I can go to a town hall meeting, like, and I can bring up these, these conversations. And, and that was, that was like the coolest thing ever for me. And it kind of validated what I was doing when I found an organization called Policing Equity and they're based out of Los Angeles, right up, right up the road from me. And they had actually partnered with the San Diego police department using the same data sets that I was using to identify bias and work with them to yeah. provide training. So it was like, Oh wow. Like I'm giving talks on data that's actually being used in real life to help bring about change. And once you can see that you're like, Oh wow. Maybe I should like, I can inspire the next policing equity or the next organization that wants to get super and hyper local. And again, cut through the noise and solve a problem in that local area. And I didn't even know that this organization existed. They actually started in 2020 as well. So it was, it was a very much a moment of like, it's super cool to be able to leverage data knowing that it could be done professionally, it could be done commercially, and it does start to bring about the change that I was hoping to encourage. So again, when I asked, like, does protesting change things? Does giving money change things? It was like, I think it does, but also I know for a fact the data that I'm working with brings about change because there are organizations that are doing it. Yeah, that's great. Like, I mean... It's one of those things, too, where it's like any little bit matters, right? Because I think a lot of us these days feel like there's so many different causes. There's so many different things that I might disagree with that are happening across the globe. And it's like you feel kind of helpless. It's like, how can I what can I do here? And I think, you know, taking opportunities to take the skills that you have and put them to good use. Like I remember. I was a part of a conference that we put together called Dev Around the Sun, which donated like thousands of dollars to COVID. Like it was a 24-hour conference and we we organized like 24 hours consistently of speaking. And like it was great. Like money went to the Red Cross and it was awesome. That was something that we could we could do to take our skills as technologists and, you know, figuring out how to manage meetings and all that and events and turn it into something good. 
And it's just like little things like that go so far, especially when the the alternative is to just, you know, go on Twitter and say like, oh, look at this crummy thing that's going on right now. Change your profile photo to a a, a blacked out JPEG. That's, it does a lot. Yeah, yeah. No, I, Uh. yeah. Anyway, I, I, so we're, we're at the top of the hour and I really, you know, Jay, this is a great conversation. Thank you so much for taking part of it and kind of telling your story and, you know, talking about some of the great things that you've worked on. Um, you know, at the, at the end of our discussion, I'd love to ask my guests, um, if they can think of technology, open source, the community around it, what it enables, and you only had one word to do so, what would that word be for you? I mean, I'm go- I'm gonna pull an Obama here and say change. Like, oh, yeah. it 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 really does. Like, the openness of open source means that anybody has access to it. Anybody has the ability to work with it, work on it, uh, use it how they see. And and I think that there's there's a whole conversation around like code, like code and code ethics and yeah. things like that that I'm not really prepared to to talk about at the moment. Sure, but sure, sure. But I will also say that there is this amazing ability. I wouldn't have been able to learn a lot of the things that I learned. I'm the first software anything in my family. My role didn't exist growing up. No one came to career day and was like, I'm a cloud advocate. Like, like, no, that, that doesn't exist. But... I was still able to learn about it. I was still able to tell people about it. I was still able to contribute to it and, and like create my own little space and drive, you know, some level of impact and change in that space because of the openness of it. And again, you, you talk about like certain industries, they, they just don't hit the same. Like they don't No no one's out here trying to change. Like, well, I mean, actually a lot of people are out here trying to change a lot of different industries and bring about change. The interesting thing about it is they're all doing it on the backs of like open source technology. Yeah. So, you know, I, I think whether you're talking about in the industry or in other industries or in people's lives, like contributing to accessing utilizing leveraging whatever you want to call it being in the open source community just brings change yeah that's that's great like i mean i'm not gonna do a really bad obama impression but i think change (laughs) change change is really important and i think that's a, a great way to summarize like how we feel about tech and where it could go so we're 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 done jay I, oh. I, I want to thank you so much for being on here and, and chatting uh, again. Like, is, do you have any parting words before we sign off? I mean, reach out to me if you're, if you're wanting to learn, if you're wanting to connect, hit me up. I always tell people my DMS are open. Like yeah. as long as you're not bringing, bringing mess to me, like yeah. I'll, I'll just be open and honest yeah. with you. That is, that is how I've always tried to be is just, I do what I can and, you know, if I can't do it, luckily I've met a lot of amazing people who will, uh, who I've actually noticed some people retweeted it. So like, yeah, yeah. Th- those same people, you've got a good community, like reach out to people in it and, and go from there. I'm very guilty of attaching myself to good people. Like I've, that's one of my, that's one of my skills. Like my toxic trait is convincing cool people to like me. I think that's, what I that's... mean, <laughs> I'm, I'm often the uncoolest person in the room. Yeah. And like, that is, that is always the way to be. Like when I get to talk to people and I mean, 
it's it's funny. We talked about like we used to work together, and it's like I wound up going to a different place, but people there knew who you were, and they're like, "Oh, Isaac's dope!" Like, so yeah. it's like it's it's this super like close knit community that's yeah. super engaging, super inviting, and everyone just wants to see everybody succeeding. So like yeah. we're all encouraging one another. We're all, you know tutoring and mentoring and providing all of this guidance like whatever we can and honestly like i'm excited to now be a part of it not just at like the bottom level leeching off of like all of these amazing people but now being able to actually give back and contribute as well yeah no that's that's awesome and i think that you're gonna do great in doing that and for folks who aren't already following jay on twitter it's kj miller uh, and again, this is a great conversation. Thank you so much, Jay, for tuning in. And thank you for everybody else who watched along. If you like what you comment, you see, so go ahead and like, subscribe, follow. And that's going to be it for me. I'm Isaac Levin. Enjoy the rest of your day. Take care.